Oh, come on. This is as country as it gets, man. Yeah. I don't know. Don't you guys ever get hot feet? Man, hang them shoes. <clears throat> but I wear them when I get out there. Otherwise, they get dirty. You know what I mean, John? <laughs> you guys got your Bibles open up to Psalm 142. <clears throat> and we'll keep looking. Remember, we were looking through a series of, of Psalms of Lament last time. Taking a look at uh, Psalms of Lament. And remember when we look at them, sometimes it's, uh, it is easy for us to try to assume some personage in the Psalms. But the Psalms uh, purposefully don't give us those things. Like when it talks about evil men, it says evil men. It doesn't say, you know, some particular evil man. Or some particular situation. Because last time, remember, we talked about the idea that sometimes evil man's out there somewhere. And he's a guy in your life or a gal in your life or a person in your world. And sometimes it's us, right? Sometimes I'm my biggest enemy. And I think when we look at David's Psalms, we can see that when he's crying out to God. He's saying, God, be with me. God, hear me. God, help me. God, open my eyes to what you're doing. So Psalm 142 starts like that. And I don't know about you guys, but, but Psalms has been helpful for me just in that idea. Because for me, there's not a boogeyman out there somewhere that's against me. There's not some army trying to get me. The boogeyman in my life is me. It's my attitudes. It's my whatever. Flesh. Put whatever you want on it. It's me. It's, it's the real me, you know, apart from Christ. And... Sometimes, you know what? I got to actually call out to God for deliverance from that guy. Like, God, deliver me from evil men. But the evil man is inside of me. I need God to, to do that surgery, right? Where, where he's able to purge that. I mean, it's so easy for me to see in the lives of, of unbelievers. You know, I, I look at people who don't have a relationship with the Lord and I see them uh, doing crazy things. <laughs> and, and their life gets worse, right? You know that's what the devil does? You guys remember Pharaoh and the children of Israel stuck in Egypt? You with me? First plague, everybody remember what it was? Blood, right? Turn the water to blood. And so Pharaoh goes and gets his sorcerers. You remember? Go get the sorcerers. And he gets the sorcerers. And the sorcerers, right? the, 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 this God, he turned all the water to blood. What can you do? Now, if there was real power, they'd turn it back to water. What did they do? They took what water they had and turned it into blood. Well, that's a lot of help, right? Oh, thanks. We had one glass of water left. Now we don't have any. What, how does the devil work? He makes life worse. And, we, and he always sells it to us like it's power, it's freedom, it's something. But what happens? I go a little further down that road. What happened? It's worse. It's worse. I need deliverance. And deliverance only comes... Through the power of Jesus Christ. That's it. He's the only one who delivers. <clears throat> and the world needs deliverance. And we can all shout and yell and stomp our feet and be angry over presidential races and crazy things happening in the Senate and the Congress and all that stuff. Or we can realize, you know, we've got a job to do. You want to see that change, then you've got to start being willing to tell your neighbor about Jesus Christ. And stop giving yourself the excuse that that's somebody else's job. Because when the gospel goes out, what happens? 
hearts change, right? We start, we start to find our paths led or guided, right? By something other than us. I start choosing things I would have never picked. You with me? And that's what we see David doing. Look at Psalm 142, guys. Verse 1. I cry out to the Lord with my voice, with my voice to the Lord. I make my supplication. So he's saying, man, I'm crying out to God. Now, whenever David talks about this, it's, this is impassioned, okay? So, so don't, don't take passion out of the Psalms. When God is, when David says, I cry out, that's what he means. You ever been in such a rotten spot that you're just crying out for help? Because that's what David's talking about. But it's a little interesting when we get a little bit deeper into what he's asking for help for. He says, <coughs> he says, I pour out my complaint before him. He's got a problem. He pours out his complaint before God. I declare before him my trouble. Listen to this. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then you knew the path in the way in which I walk. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, when I was overwhelmed, and he's, he's like, I'm, I'm in on, on self-destruct mode. Anybody been there? So you're going, 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 and all of a sudden it's like, I made one decision that was bad, then I made another decision that was bad, and I followed that with another bad decision. Nobody but me ever does that? You guys are going to be bored to tears then. So you, you have one decision to another, to another. He said, my heart, my spirit's overwhelmed. Everything I do just has fallen apart. It's like... Uh, trying to put ash back together, right? It's all falling apart. But here's what he says. When I was all overwhelmed and in that crazy place, God knew the path I was on. Okay? Just chew on that for a minute. Because in a little while he's going to tell us God guides us. But right there what he's saying is, I was on this crazy road, helter-skelter, life upside down, and God, when I was crazy, when all that was happening, God knew where I was. God knows where you're at. I don't surprise him. I don't shock him. He's right there. <clears throat> He's seen me in the darkest places. He knew where I was walking. He saw the traps. Look, they have secretly set a snare for me. They're trying to trap him. Look at my right hand and see, for there is no one who acknowledges me. <coughs> Refuge has failed me. No one cares for my soul. So what do we got? Here's what the psalmist is fighting with. Two things. Loneliness and depression. Anybody ever had those? That's his battle. And he's saying, all these bad things are happening. A snowball effect is going on. Or, or quicksand, the more I move, the more I sink. And he says, I'm looking around and there's nobody with me. But God, you knew the path I was on. God hasn't lost him. God's right there. God is able. He is able to, to see. God knows where he's at. And look what he does. So <clears throat> he says, so I cried out to you, O Lord, and I said. Doesn't say I felt. It says I said. I said, you are my refuge. What am I meaning? I mean, David is depressed. David is lonely. David's at the bottom. He don't feel anything, but he makes a choice on what to do. He looks up to God and he says, you're my refuge. You're my portion. What's that mean? Man, so many times, guys, we're looking for something else to satisfy us. A new Harley. <laughs> I spend more time in the shop than I spend in my garage so far. Or 
a new car or a new house. I don't know what the thing is. We're looking for something else to satisfy. And as long as we're looking for something else to satisfy, and we're not saying, Lord, you're my refuge. refuge. You're my safe place. You are. And, and when we're saying, you're my inheritance. You're the poor. You're the thing, the treasure for which I seek. When we recognize that, it's going to move us from loneliness and depression. It moves us from where we're at. But until we can do that, until we can say, you're my refuge. When I say God's my refuge, that means I'm not looking someplace else for a safe place. I'm going to look for you. When I say you're my portion, it means I'm no longer looking for treasure somewhere else. Like as though I find a pot of gold that's going to make me happy. But I'm recognizing that he's my portion. He's my inheritance. He's my treasure. So the psalmist declares that, guys. He lays it out. He says, you're my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. And he don't, he don't blow smoke at God. He says, God, I'm so depressed. That's what that means. I am brought very low. I don't know I could get any lower. You know how it is. I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to go try no more. I don't want to go talk to nobody no more. I just want to stay in bed. So what's David say? God, this is how I feel. I'm so low. I need you. I need you. The Bible tells us that if we humble ourselves before the Lord, what's he say he'll do? He'll lift us up. But if we tell God, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. You ask me, but we pass down the road and you say to me, how you doing? Some of you guys know what I'll say. What am I going to say? Nobody knows. Somebody, somebody whispered it. I'm going to say, living the dream. Now, how many of you guys believe that's true? I hope not any of you, but I got to have something to say, right? What else are you going to say? <clears throat> but if we, if that's our attitude toward God, then we don't understand the purpose of prayer, man. Cause prayer is where we come before God and we humble ourselves. And we bow down because he knows me. He knows my heart and the garbage inside of me. And we say, God, I'm low. I'm low. But he says, if you humble yourself, he will lift you up. So he says, deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Who are his persecutors? Loneliness and depression. Are they outside somewhere? No, where do they live? Inside him. Inside him, man. Most of the time when I go through the Psalms, man, I read the deliver me from sinful men, break their teeth. I know that those guys are in me. There's not some dude out there. The person leading me to do bad, evil things, make bad choices is in my heart, not out there somewhere. And I need God to take that old man and smack him around a little bit. Get rid of the old man, right? How does Paul say it? You think David says it hard. Paul says, crucify him. Paul says, crucify your old man. Don't feed him. Don't play with him. Don't tickle him. You let that guy die. And you let Jesus make us a new creation. What's his promise? If I start it, I'll finish it. If I start it, I'll finish it. So we hold on to those promises, man. His persecutors are stronger. So look what he says. Bring my soul out of prison. Right? Man, I don't, if there's a better description of depression and loneliness, I don't know what it is. Because sometimes, man, I met a lot of people in a prison of their own making, right? Yeah? 
think a long time ago, Creed had a song, My Own Prison. But the concept of the song was the same thing. Man, I, I made this place. I thought I was building my safe place. Turns out I made a prison. So here David saying, deliver me, man. Deliver me from <clears throat> out of prison that I might praise your name. And the righteous shall surround me, for you shall deal bountifully with me. The two things he says, he's going to deliver him out of prison, so he's coming out, <coughs> right? He's going to come out of the low place, come out of the darkness. And what else? Loneliness is solved. Because who's going to be around him? Righteous. Righteous. You've got to be lonely. You don't got to be. Loneliness is a lie, man. Sold by the, by the pit of hell. We start telling ourselves nobody wants us around or I can't find nobody I like. It's going to be nice to somebody. You'll find out. Smile at somebody. It's shocking what happens. You walk down the road and give somebody a smile. It's incredible. I had a crazy, tattooed, freaky, bearded, dragging his knuckles biker walking by me the other day and I smiled at him. He smiled right back. No, but it doesn't matter how bad he is. It's just a reaction. <clears throat> we want to have friends. May the righteous surround you. Where are you going to find the righteous? Probably not at the bar. Where are you going to find the righteous? Probably not at all the parties. Where are you going to find the righteous? You're going to find the righteous when we gather together, when we come together to worship. You're going to find the righteous when we have events. We're like uh, next Sunday, not this coming. Next Sunday we'll be at the river doing baptisms, hanging out the river all day. Boats will be there. You can go for little rides on, on my junker of a boat and go, woohoo, man, I'm on Jackie's boat. <laughs> maybe, maybe Jerry will bring his boat. It could be better. Um, no, no bailing water. If we got to bail water, we're in trouble. There's not enough boat for it to bail water. <coughs> but we're going to, the whole day, so right after church until whenever you bail, we're going to be kicking it at the riverside. Lots of opportunity to talk, share, and so what's David saying? Man, I, I make God my refuge. I make God uh, uh, my portion. He's going to take me out of the prison, and he's going to keep me from being lonely. But we keep listening to the enemy, that little knucklehead inside of you, and you stay lonely forever. You've got to shut that guy up. Shut that guy up and get out. Psalm 143, another psalm of David. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplications. And when he's praying... I want you to see how he's doing it. According to my faithfulness, is that what he says? According to my faithfulness? No, he says, in whose faithfulness? Your faithfulness. So he's praying to God that God would help him according to God's faithfulness. Woo, almost lost the Bible. According to God's faithfulness, and then according to God's, what's the next one? In your righteousness. <clears throat> Not in mine. I'm, not, I'm coming to you, God, because I've done this for you, and that for you, and this for you. That's not how he's praying, is it? He's saying, God, I'm coming to you for your faithfulness. I'm coming to you on your righteousness. Do you know that your Father in heaven wants to give you good things? Do you know Jesus said that? In fact, Jesus telling a story about fathers giving gifts to their children said of us on earth, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more are your Father in heaven? God wants to give us good things. He wants to give us good things. We don't always want good things, though, huh? But he wants to give us good things. <clears throat> he wants to give us those things. So he come in his faithfulness, in his righteousness. Do not enter into judgment 
with your servant. Look at the end of verse 2. For in your sight, no one living is, what's it say? Righteous. Your sight. We, we, don't, we, we don't stand before God good because we prayed enough, we read the Bible enough, we picked up enough trash at the church, we did enough stuff for God. That doesn't make us righteous. What makes us righteous? Being found in Christ. Remember Ephesians chapter 1? We've got to be in Christ. Now, how do we get in Christ? Well, the Bible tells Ephesians 1, roughly about verse 13, that when you trusted in Him, when you believed in Him, when you put your faith in Him, then you were crucified with Christ, Paul says. We're crucified with Christ, man. We're in Him. Now, you and I, we weren't on the cross, were we? Who was? Jesus. So in order for me to be crucified with Christ, that means I've got to be where? In Christ. I've got to be in Him. Got to be in Him. That's where we find righteousness. Righteousness is a gift given to us because of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Man, look, it says, For the enemy has persecuted my soul. Now, remember, we're talking to just a generic enemy. This enemy can be in you. This enemy can be outside of you. For the enemy has persecuted my soul, has crushed my life to the ground, has made me to dwell in darkness like those who <coughs> have long been dead. I was reading that and I was trying to kind of put myself into the mind of David. And <clears throat> I don't know, all I can do is personal experience. But you guys ever feel empty? Like, I'm not happy, I'm not sad, I'm just empty. That's a great description of somebody who's dead, right? There's no, no happiness, no sorrow, just I don't feel anything. It's a very scary place to be because you... It's a very apathetic place, right? You stop caring about things. You're in that emptiness. So I think the first thing that he's describing is his struggle. In his struggle, he feels empty. Now look at verse 4. Therefore, my spirit is overwhelmed within me, and my heart within me is distressed. So he's empty, and he's despairing. Right? He's empty. I don't feel nothing. I'm, 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 I'm low. I'm in a grave like a dead man, but I'm also overwhelmed. My heart's distressed. There's despair inside of me. In verse 5 and 6, he gives you the key. 5 and 6. You do 5 and 6, and you too, like David, can have the answer that you need. Look at verse 5. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your works. I muse or consider the work of your hands. I spread out my hands to you, and my soul longs for you like a thirsty land. And then you see that little phrase, Selah? That's when he has finished his thought, and he just wants you to pause. It's like a musical rest. Stop. Consider what I just said. So say, man, I'm empty, and I got despair, and I'm crying out to God. So what does he tell us to do? He tells us to remember. Remember the days of old. Why do we study the Word of God? Why do we spend time in the Old Testament? Why do we look backwards? So that when we come to a verse like Romans 8.28, we can say there's a reason that we can stand on a mountain and say, I know all things work together for good to those who love God, to the called according to His purpose. How do I know? Because I can look back. And I can see all these crazy lives in Scripture where God met them where they were in their despair, in their emptiness. 
and how God delivered and how God directed and how God touched. So first thing I do is I got to remember. Now, just keep in mind, we're going to be in Revelation in about three weeks-ish, depending on if I finish a whole nother psalm in 15 minutes. <coughs> but um, in, in Revelation chapter 2, we're going to talk about church at Ephesus. You guys all know church at Ephesus. Revelation chapter 2 is a church that Jesus said, you've uh, left your first love. You remember? The first thing he tells them to do is remember. Remember from whence you have fallen. Remember the days of old. Remember the things God has done in your life. You guys heard that phrase growing up, count your blessings? We spent all our time thinking how bad we got it, but we never spent any time meditating on the pure and the lovely and the things that are a good reproach, the things <clears throat> that are encouraging in our life. That's what we need to put our mind, meditating on those things. You know what it helps us do? Not get depressed. You know what it helps us do? Not get empty. <clears throat> Not get empty. Remembering the things that God has done for us. Then meditate on all your works. <clears throat> Psalm 119 says, if a, if, if a young man wants to cleanse his ways, all he needs to do is meditate on God's Word. Meditate on God's Word. Pouring God's Word in helps flush that stuff out. So we remember, we meditate, and then consider the work of His hands. Consider the work of His hands. Man, that don't lift your spirit sometime? But you need to get out. You go walking down some mountain ridge, 10,000 feet, see mountain goats up on the side of the hillside, little critters running around. We had a doe. We couldn't hardly keep out of camp. Kept trying to pester us. You catch some some uh, um, unplanted cutthroat trout out of a crystal clear. Uh, and you tell me you can't consider God up there? Consider the work of his hands. You know he made all this stuff for your enjoyment, right? For you. He's not down here hiking, fishing. He made it for us. Consider the works of his hands. Consider the things that God's done in your life. Consider the works that God does. Because sometimes we think, <clears throat> I got nothing, and we realize we really do have something special. And all of these three things lead to one thing. I spread out my hands to you. Spread out my hands. Twofold. Spread out my hands. Remember we talked about last time? It's like, which of us, when a little child runs over to you and lifts his hands or her hands up to you, just says, go away? If you do, you need to get fixed, man. Your heart is like a raisin. You better pump that up or something. But when a little child raises their hands to us, the natural reaction is to reach down and pick them up. Reach down and pick them up. And that's what David's doing to God. So what do you think God's reaction is? Why do you think we raise our hands to God, man? It's, it's not so everyone can see me. It's me saying to God, I need you. I need you. I need to feel you. I need to feel your touch. I need to feel your warmth. I need to feel your, your care. So he says, I lift my hands. So not only is it me doing that, but it's also a way to praise, right? It's also a way to praise God, to thank God. <clears throat> for what he has and is doing in our lives. And he says, my soul longs for you like, like a thirsty land. You ever been really thirsty? Some long hike somewhere with no water? Can't find a stream or a puddle? No monster cans laying around? Man, when you are thirsty and you want something to drink, 
You want to see what it's like? Go to football practice. Watch them dudes all getting pounded and hammered and running all over the place. And then watch what happens when somebody hollers, get water. They don't walk. They don't go, okay. Boy. Man, they're like, oh, dude, let's get some water. And they're headed to the water. They run over the trough. I think I rebuilt water troughs coaching football a hundred times. Because a bunch of knuckleheads run over there like maniacs and then they can't stop. So they water it all up, big pile of football bodies and water squirting everywhere. But <clears throat> that's how he says, I want you, Lord. That's how I long for you. That's my desire for God. So then there's several things he's going to ask for God. So here's what he's done. And then he says, answer me speedily, O Lord, for my spirit fails. So where's the problem for David? Outside or inside? It's inside. My spirit fails. So do not hide your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. So make me hear your loving kindness in the morning. You see it? Cause me to. Make me hear your loving kindness. It's, sometimes we want to hear from God with our fingers in our ears. Right? Because you're pretty sure he's not telling you what you want to hear. So we are like, la, 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 God's not talking to me, la, la, la. No, make me hear you. That's the, his prayer. Make me hear your loving kindness. I want to hear your loving kindness in the morning. For in you I trust. In you. He makes a statement of will. See, we got to, <coughs> our whole lives got to be about that, making statements of will. In you I trust. So make me hear your love. Make me hear your chesed, your agapeo. That's the same word in Hebrew. Make me to hear your loving kindness. Give me ears to hear. Then he goes on and he says, uh, Cause me to know the way in which I should walk. What is that? Make me walk where I'm supposed to walk. You guys know how the shepherd did that for the lamb that couldn't, the little lamb that lost his way all the time, right? You remember? You guys all seen the picture? The picture of Jesus as a shepherd with a lamb on his shoulders? And you, we think, oh, that's so cute. Yeah, that's a broken lamb. The little lost lamb, the way the shepherd gets him on track, the shepherd takes the lamb and breaks his legs. Not because he hates the lamb, but he wants the lamb to learn that everything the lamb needs is with the shepherd. And then while that lamb is healing, it's on his shoulders. So everything that lamb needs, he feeds it, he gives it water, he cares for it. When that lamb is well... It never goes away from a shepherd. You don't have to go find him no more. To make me walk in your path. That's what David's saying. Make me walk. Break my legs. Put me on your shoulder, man. Make me learn to stay with you. Make me learn to stand by you. Make me <clears throat> to walk with you. Make me to know where I'm supposed to be. So... For I lift up my soul to you. It's a gift, right? How do we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ? That's how you do it. What do we did? We took our soul. Soul is just a, another word for my life. I took my life. Now, my life was no great, you know, bargain. There was not a lot of people. <clears throat> I'm pretty sure not even my wife. There was not a lot of people who said, you know, I want that. Give me that. Give me that. I couldn't have probably sold it anywhere. There was one person in all the universe who wanted that, and that's the Creator. 
And I always pictured lifting it to him like that little boy lifting his lunch to the disciples. Remember when Jesus fed the 5,000? And, and Jesus said, they're hungry. And they said, well, we don't have any food. Jesus said, go feed them. And somewhere in all that cast, you know them disciples are running around yelling at each other. And I don't know what we're supposed to do. I don't know what to do. What do you think we should do? I don't know. I don't got no food. You got any food? No, I don't got no food. And a little kid comes running up to him. I got lunch. You know that's how it happened. And probably of the 12 disciples, it was the guy who drew the short stick that had to take the lunch to Jesus. Because everybody's like, I'm not taking that to him and say feed the people with that. Okay, so we'll draw straws and... Because the Bible don't tell us. And a disciple said, Hey, Lord, here's what we got. But what God do with it? Don't you see that's what God does with our lives? When we lift our soul to him? God took my life and it was going nowhere, causing nothing but pain. God took my life and he changed it. Oh, trust me, it's not, he ain't done but we're a long ways from where we were once. I lift up my soul to you. Make me walk where I'm supposed to walk. Uh, There was, I don't know, there's a time in my life where I said, you know, I I pretty much screwed it all up. So if you know where the pieces go, God, here's my busted stuff. Man, God puts it together, guys. Guys. God knows where it goes. He makes us to walk where we ought to walk. And then look what he says. Deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies. Now again, I want you to know, that doesn't mean there can't be enemies outside, but I think often the enemy's inside. You get what I mean? So deliver me, Lord, from my enemies. In you I take shelter. I need to be in you. In you. That's a, that's a, a statement of our desire. I want to be in you, God. I want to be in you. I don't want to be someplace else. It's not about what church you're going to be in. It's are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? Man, I want to be in you. Teach me to do your will. For you are my God. And your spirit is good. Teach me to do your will. What is it that when the the, the disciples came to Jesus said, teach us to pray. You remember what, what he said? Our Father who art in heaven with me, hallowed be thy name. Right? So as they're learning this prayer, there's a part of that prayer, right, about will, the will of God. How's it go? That your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah, so last I checked, we're all here. So part of that is allowing God's will to be done in my life. Submitting myself to what God has for me. Submitting myself to what, 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 what things are outside of my control which is pretty much everything, and saying, hey, your will be done. Those are powerful words, man. Powerful words that Jesus spoke from Gethsemane. Your will be done. Your will be done. Lord, teach me to do your will. Lead me in the land of uprightness. Yeah, help me to be good. Because I don't want to be good. Everything in me wants to be bad. If somebody does me wrong, I want to do them wronger. Yeah? That's how wars happen, right? Oh, you shoot me, I'm going to drop a nuke on your head. 
Isn't that how we feel? Man, it's like, <coughs> it's not, it's funny because different philosophers around the world say things like, well, the Bible, the Lex Talionis in the Bible, which says, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, just makes blind people. That's not what it means. It means skin for skin. It means don't chop off a head because somebody poked you in the eye. You get it? Things ought to be equal. You stole, pay restitution. You murder, you die. That's God's law. That's God's way. I for an eye is mercy. But we as people, we don't do that. Oh, somebody jumped my brother. Well, six of us are going to jump them. Oh, 15 of us are going to jump the next guy. Oh, and it keeps getting bigger. Pretty soon you got countries lobbing bombs at each other. Right? Because everybody wants to get satisfaction. But here it says, Lord, teach me to be good. Teach me to walk uprightly. Teach me to hear the words of Jesus who said, someone hits you on the cheek. Turn your other to him. Somebody asks you for your coat. Give me a shirt too. If he asks you to walk with him a mile, go with him too. And Jesus had some wild things to say. Teach me to walk in the land of uprightness. And revive me, O Lord, for your name's sake. Revive me. Man, I'm like uh, Frankenstein's monster. <clears throat> and I need him to, to shoot me with some juice. Not just electricity so I can walk around. Ugh. I need some Holy Spirit in me, man. I need him to revive me. Because I don't got the power or the strength to do what I need to do. So I need him to give it to me. Romans 5 says that's what he does. That's what he does. He gives us that which we need. He pours out. I need revive, man. If I, Dude, it's a crazy, nutty, complicated life we live. No? I bet probably multiple times in a week we need revived. You catch some bad news, some hurtful stuff, some whatever. Man, God, revive me. Revive me. You know nobody could die in Jesus' presence? Do you know there's a story of Jesus? I always remember. I always remember. I always forget the widow's name. Jesus is walking into Jerusalem. You remember the story? A widow's coming out. Her only son's dead. He's in a coffin. Don't give her name. It don't? No. Doesn't mean you can't know it. <laughs> She's coming out. Jesus is going in. He don't stay dead, does he? He don't stay dead. Man, I need to be revived, just like them dead people. Because without a touch of the king, it don't take very long for me to be out of juice. What about you? So it ought to be a pretty steady part of our diet, right? Lord, revive me. Pour out your Holy Spirit. Open my eyes. Help me be the guy I'm supposed to be. <clears throat> this is what David's praying, man. Revive me for your righteousness' sake. Bring my soul out of trouble, and in your mercy cut off my enemies and destroy all those who afflict my soul, for I am your servant. Now remember, I'm telling you, we look at that and we always want to see enemies out there. 
But I bet you when we see David, you're going to find out that most of the Psalms he wrote were about enemies that lived someplace else. God, cut off them enemies in my heart. Cut off them enemies in my head. The lies that my head speaks to me. The, the lies that my heart tells me. Get rid of all that. In your mercy, God, <clears throat> help me to be the man I need to be. Destroy all those other things and help me be a new creation. Yeah? That's what David, I think, is crying out for in Psalm 143. Didn't make 144. We'll get that next time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father,